Welcome to Plant Stories. The modern, the old, and the crazy in between. Myth or fact? Begonias bring to mind the visual of beautiful, colorful flowers, a gift that can help celebrate individuality and uniqueness. But it also has established quite a few other connotations, such as a warning of misfortune or caution and dark thoughts. A flower that could be a gift for someone who's about to go on a trip or planning a dangerous activity or for someone who's just gotten into an accident. Get them a begonia. That brings us into today's episode. Begonias. (laughs) Yes. Begonias are an excellent gift, as they come in many, many shapes and sizes and colors. Uh, There's many different kinds of begonias. Uh, And they've actually been around kind of like for a surprisingly long time in the sort of cultural consciousness. Mm -hmm. How long? Pretty long. No. (laughs) Like Um, orchids long? Well... It's funny that you say that. Um, Some of the first begonias that were kind of brought into the houseplant consciousness, I would say, Mm -hmm. um, were actually in an orchid shipment that arrived from India to England in 1856. Um, And in 1821, a little bit earlier, begonias were actually found in soil that was sent from Brazil to the Berlin Botanical Garden. So when they were going through that period where they were sending things to gardens at universities and things like that, and all those started to pop up, kind of like we talked about in our History of Houseplants episode, uh, there were begonias found in that shipment. Um, Begonias were originally discovered and named by a Franciscan monk whose name was Charles Plumier. Plumier. Yeah. And um, he found begonias in Brazil in 1690, and he actually named them after his favorite botanist, who was Michel Bigon, and he was the governor of Haiti at the time. Hmm. Uh, but Very international. Yeah, but uh, Plumier uh, passed away, and so there wasn't really much documentation after that, like... Begonias were known, but they weren't necessarily, you know, in popular consciousness before the 1800s, other than kind of that mention. Uh, But he is the one who named them. And so now that botanist name lives forever in the name of begonias. And uh, begonias were also used by some other cultures as well. Um even though they were thought to kind of originate in Brazil, there are also some in China and parts of India. And so they kind of like scattered around a little bit and traveled. Um, You know, different varieties were found in like the Andes mountains and um, they were used in Chinese medicine. Now there's like over a thousand known species of begonias today. And like I said, they range in size and color and, you know, some of them have bigger brighter flowers and are kind of known for their flowers. Some of them are known specifically for their foliage because the foliage is so incredibly vibrant. Um, And so in that way, 
They're also great for like gardens and houses. They're very common as both houseplants and garden plants today. Um, and there are a couple of more like popular types. Um, but they're known for being relatively, relatively easy to grow. And that's why a lot of people I think really enjoy them. So what are some of the more commonly known begonias? So, um, there are tuberous begonias, which come in like really beautiful tropical colors. They have large flowers. They look kind of similar to roses. Uh, they have tubers, which are large organ structures used by the plant for storage and use of nutrients. So there are other tuber plants. This one, I would say probably has a little bit smaller tubers most of the time. Um, but they still kind of look similar to what you would think of as your typical begonia. Uh, there are fibrous begonias, which have the ability to flower year-round. So they flower and then, you know, go through the cycle of the flowers dying, going away, and then they come back. Um, and they're well known for that. They're also known as wax begonias. And so they have a, kind of what you would think of as like a regular root system, a fibrous root system, which is just small roots um, off going from the, the stem. So very, those very thin ones that you would think of. Uh, and then there are rhizomatous begonias. Uh, those include the popular houseplant Rex begonias. So if you've ever seen like the escargot begonias, which have this really beautiful leaf that has a swirl in the middle of it, kind of makes it look like a snail shell. Um, those are Rex begonias or one type of them. And the rhizomatous ones have roots that grow horizontally. So you have the host plant, roots grow off that host plant horizontally, and then separate plants grow from that. Um, and eventually they become big enough to essentially be their own plant and they can form a large network of plants that way. Um, Interesting, like a sunny parasitic plant. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say they're parasitic because they don't actually take necessarily from other plants, but they are they can form like a very big web essentially of you know sister plants because they have the ability to kind of go under other things and then just pop up another node in their system but that also makes them relatively hardy as far as garden plants go you know you accidentally kill one but it's possible that the rest of the system you know won't suffer for that um and really the fibrous and rhizomatous begonias survive best indoors. So those are the ones, like the wax and the rex begonias, those are the ones that you'll usually see in your house. Uh, tuberous begonias have a difficult time because they need high humidity and a little bit more light. Um, but that doesn't mean you couldn't have them in your house. It just might take a little bit more effort. And how long are these plants living? So begonias are one of the plants that actually tend to have a shorter lifespan. Not all begonias have a short lifespan, but many of them have a lifespan of only about uh, two to three years. So you shouldn't be surprised if you have one for a while and it kind of goes by the wayside, especially like with the rhizomatous ones, you know, they have a tendency to like offshoot very quickly. And so if they don't necessarily get the opportunity to do that, that one single plant might you know, go, but you might always be able to kind of get another one from 
wherever you're able to plant it as long as it's thriving and, you know, indoors. There are some types of begonia that are edible or even medicinal. Uh, tuberous begonias have edible flowers, stems, and leaves. They are said to have a citrus sour taste. Mm. Uh, the stems are occasionally used as a replacement for rhubarb, and the petals as a salad garnish. Sounds very useful. I'm curious to try it someday, for sure. Wax begonias have edible leaves and flowers, and they're said to have an earthy taste to them, especially if they've been kept in very high humidity. So if they have the very high humidity, they get kind of that, like, not dirt taste, but that like very mm -hmm. uh, kind of earthy ground taste. I get it. Like potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll leave the skin on, you know. <laughs> in China and the West Indies, begonia leaves were made into tea to treat colds. They've also been used to treat wounds such as cuts and bruises and things like that. They're well known for the ability to treat inflammation. The acid-based saps that come from them have also been used to treat things like toothaches and gum ailments because they're antibacterial. Um, so they were often used for like a lot of common cold things, a lot of like anti-inflammation things. In China and the West Indies, it's well recorded that those things were used for that. But even in like places like Paraguay, it was used to treat like sore throats and things. So it's been used as a long time for a medicinal plant. I would say if you're thinking about using it for yourself, that I would seek more advice and information first. Mm -hmm. uh, some of these plants are used for that, but not all of them. Um, some rural people in like Mexico and China have been known to use the same sap, like the same acidic sap, to curdle milk to make cheese. Smart. They're a good source of vitamin C as well. So often used to treat scurvy and stuff like that in sailors who maybe didn't have access to actual citrus when, you know, citrus fruits were not available. Is this like a variety of begonias? Um, I would say from what I researched, most of them have nice. some vitamin C in them. But again, not all of them I would necessarily recommend eating. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> you know, I'm sure they figured it out. I'm sure they got that. And totally random, begonias were also used to polish swords hmm. in the past. For some reason... I'm sure they did some kind of process with it, but I'm just imagining them, like, taking, like, leaves and flowers straight to swords. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they probably did something with it. Yeah. But no, just a straight flower, like, yeah. <laughs> Can't cut through this. <laughs> well, I imagine they probably use leaves. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the sap from, from leaves and Yeah, stems, they probably, but... like, mashed it into something. Yeah, but... Yeah, it was very popular sword <laughs> polish um, for quite some time. And now today, there's just like 
a crazy, incredible amount of begonias available. Um, all, some of them are now even being bred to have scent, which is interesting because a lot of things scent has been bred out of to a certain extent because of people's sensitivity with allergies and other things. Um, begonias have often been featured specifically by Martha Stewart, who really promotes them as one of her favorites for their variety and their beauty and texture and shape. Uh, they, like I said before, do kind of tend to have a shorter lifespan. So, you know, some of them might only live two or three years, not all of them. But you shouldn't be disappointed if it, if something happens, you know. It's, it's not uncommon. Two years can be enough. It can, it can. And honestly, some of the flowers are just incredible. I've seen some colors and, you know, even leaves that are just amazing. Even ones that have the really brightly colored leaves often have small, tiny flowers that are still very bright in color. So the contrast when they do flower is really beautiful, but then you get this amazing leaf all year round. But it's also true that begonias kind of culturally for a long time were used to warn about danger, which is why, you know, you would give that to somebody who is maybe doing something dangerous. In a way, they are kind of the first um, in your garden to like warn you about potential dangers. So if things are really dry, they'll be a little bit weepy. Um, if there's disease, they show disease relatively quickly. Um, and you can usually get it, like clip it off and get rid of it quicker than some other things for sure. Um, and that's kind of how it gets remembered. And in itself, it was named for somebody who really, really loved plants. Do you have a favorite begonia? Whew, it's a hard choice. My favorite is probably the Rex begonia. I do just love them. I have three of them in the house. None of them are in here. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they get little pink flowers, which are so cute. Um, <laughs> but they do uh, grow kind of weird in an indoor pot. Uh, it's worth it though. And um, they're like a blue-green color or like a green-red color, which is pretty cool. And uh, another symbolism they have is like harmonious communication because of the way they kind of communicate with each other, communicate the stuff with the garden. So um, that's really a really cool thing too. Like they are very like good houseplants. They are the first kind of to let you know something's going on. And I've given at least like seven as gifts already in my life, so. <laughs> None for warnings of misfortune. <laughs> no. You know, I didn't think about <laughs> I guess I did give someone one for going to a new job, but I thought that it would be more positive than that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Mini tip. Pretty much every other plant we've talked about. Begonias like to dry out between waterings. 
and they're relatively forgiving. They are technically also a succulent. So that means they store water all throughout. Primarily for begonias in their stems, but yes. I'm learning. (laughs) And um, so you want to make sure that you are watering them relatively consistently, but letting them dry out. And um, overwatering can be a really common problem, especially in fibrous begonias, because it can lead to root rot. So be careful to not let any water sit in your pots. Make sure you have a pot with good drainage, or you're paying attention to how much you're watering, or if you're using a pot that doesn't have a hole in the bottom, you are putting a layer of sand or rocks there, just to make sure that you filter out any excess water that is too much for the plant. So do you like take your finger and like check the pot, like the soil in the pot to see if it's dry enough? Do you like dig a little bit to check it? I do, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the best way and eventually plants are like people, you know. They like routines. Mm-hmm. So once your plant gets into a routine of being watered, you know, every week, it will expect that water every week. As long as you're not overwatering it, you know, it will expend what it needs to, to, to wait for that replenishment. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for joining us on today's episode, learning all about begonias. Uh, what can we look forward to for our next episode? Ferns. Ferns. I'm talking about ferns. Like long, spindly, fluffy ferns. That's what I think of. Some of them. Some of them. Some of them are that. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to learning more with you again next week, Minnie. Thank you again for joining us on our episode. Feel free to leave any feedback, comments, questions, exciting news about your own begonia. I hope you can give it as a gift to a friend. 